She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Millennium, season one. Episode 12, Loin Like a Hunting Flame. This episode was filmed on location in British Columbia, Canada, and originally aired on Friday, January 31st, 1997 at 9 p.m. In this episode, (laughs) according to Nick's summary, Sexy time, drugs, and murder. Frank Black tries to unravel the three to stop a killer. Right. I'm writing these now. Yeah. So. They're, that's because I wasn't putting them in. And so <laughs> Nick took over. Also, that's let's be honest. You tell a lot in your summaries. I do because it's a summary. That is the function <laughs> of a summary. That's literally what it is. <laughs> okay, well, we're changing. It's not a summary anymore. It's it's like, I'm going to start treating the section like it's the TV guide bit. Like it's that, okay, it's that one or two okay. sentences you get in the TV guide. So, yeah. That works. And I mean, there's nothing wrong. Everything I said is true. It's true. I don't disagree. sexy time, we get drugs, and we get murder. And Frank Black mm-hmm. has to unravel the three to stop a killer. Boom. It's completely Efficient. accurate. Efficient. This episode was written by Ted Mann and directed by David Nutter. This is the second episode Mann will have a solo writing credit for on Millennium. The first was episode four, The Judge. And he'll be co-writer on two more episodes this season. Hmm. This is David Nutter's fourth and final directional credit for Millennium after having directed episodes one, Pilot, two, Gehenna, and five, Five two two six six six. Kaboom! It also marks his exit from our X Files extended universe. But he will go on to direct many things, including the pilot and Wendigo episodes of Supernatural, ten episodes of Entourage, the pilots for both Arrow and the Flash, as well as nine episodes of Game of Thrones. And his most recent gig was directing all six episodes of the television adaptation of The Time Traveler's Wife on HBO Max, which aired in May and June of 2022. Nice. He's still working. Good for him. Just not not on X-Files stuff. Nope. So we're in Boulder, Colorado. It's Wednesday, and it's 11.11 a.m. Damn, 11.11 popping up again. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. We open on a painting of a demon, and the camera pans down, and we see it's perched on the shoulders of a large-breasted naked lady. It is a poster for a rave at a club, and a man is handing out flyers on the street, advertising for it. And he gives one to a guy in a letterman's jacket that says Boulder on the back. So. Mm -hmm. Then it's Thursday, and it's 2.23 a.m., A bunch of people in an alley head through the door flanked by bouncers. Inside is the club where the rave is happening. And there's a disco ball and black lights. It looks more like just a dance party. I'm not sure it's really a rave, but I guess, I don't know. I'm old, so I don't know know, what counts as a rave. The guy in the letterman jacket is there with his girlfriend. And then we see another man lurking suspiciously against a pillar. He is not the normal demographic that you would have at a rave. Mm -mm. So. Lurking man seems fixated on the girlfriend, and then he approaches them and offers them some drugs. Later, they're with the man in a small space, and he's holding a camera and turning on lights while they make out. 
he's like, okay, that's it. It's time to do it. And they start kissing. And then he opens a drawer and pulls out a vial of yellow liquid. And he films the couple getting it on. And they're like, come join us. You know, you want to. And then he sets the camera down and he fills the syringe with the liquid. And the woman's like, what is it? And he's like, it's special. And then later we see him remove the tape from the camera and he puts it on a shelf and there's a whole like wall of them basically of these tapes. Mm -hmm. And then the couple is in the bed and you might think maybe they're just asleep and worn out from their sexy time, but it also looks like they might be dead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it's the main titles. Millennium. <laughs> I got a new theme song. <laughs> yeah. Just like jazz hands and just people saying millennium. <laughs> so. And then we get the epigraph. Two souls, alas, are housed within my breast. And it says Faust. And of course, that is by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. And just for clarity, Faust is the character who speaks the line, not the other way around. He's not the author of it. So, yeah. Yes. So then we're in Boulder, Colorado again. And it's Thursday. At 7.46 a.m. We see a couple sitting down to breakfast. And we will learn that the man is Art Nesbitt. He's also the man who was filming the couple earlier this morning. In the wee morning hours. Yeah, because it's only been like five hours. Yeah. He asks if his wife, Karen, is going out today. She mentions that she might go to the store. And he reminds her to let the garage close all the way before she gets out of her car. So he's clearly a little paranoid. And she's like, I've been doing it that way for 18 years. And then he kisses her on the cheek and leaves. Then we're at a botanical garden. And a tour guide is explaining that this area of the garden is what they think Eden would have looked like. With all the plants growing between the Euphrates and Tigris rivers in Mesopotamia. What they call the cradle of civilization. The guide asks the students if they can guess which tree isn't in the garden. And one correctly guesses that it's the apple tree. Meanwhile, we see two kids have kind of deviated from the group a little. And they turn a corner and they see naked bodies of the couple from last night. And they're lying there on the grass and their private parts are covered in leaves. So there's like leaves over the lady's breasts and over their private area. Didn't tell you. Didn't tell yeah. you. There, that's, the yeah. <laughs> that's the word. That's the word. That's the word. Like Adam and Eve in the yes. Garden of Eden. Oh. I don't think Adam and Eve died in the Garden of Eden, but I also don't think it was an apple tree. But yeah. should have been like the tree of knowledge. That would have been the mm. correct answer, kids. Not apple tree. So. <laughs> what do you think it was a pomegranate or something? I think I think I people have said like maybe it was a pear. I think some people think it was actually a pomegranate. Mm -hmm. Um I know it's it's a fake story. No one knows. They just said it was a tree of knowledge and it had fruit. Like what what fruit does the tree of knowledge give? I don't know. Why is it called the tree of knowledge? Maybe it's fruit is knowledge and it's a metaphor. But okay. So <laughs> later that night the garden is a crime scene and the bodies are covered with a tarp. And there's an investigator photographing the scene. And then Frank Black arrives with Maureen Murphy. And they meet Detective Thomas, a Boulder PD homicide. He's ex-LAPD. And he tells them that it wasn't his idea to call for help. And then he walks them to the crime scene. And he says the victims are a male and female in their 20s. Frank bends down and pulls the cover off the bodies. And as he looks at them, he has flashes of them on the night before. Basically the same vision that we were getting from Art Nesbitt. 
And then he notes that the leaves are covering their private parts, which I mean is pretty obvious. So I'm sure the cops had figured that part out. So. <laughs> I don't know. They need Frank and his vision to come in and clarify. Hey, there's leaves on the titties and genitalia. So oh damn, thank you, Frank. I'm glad we called you. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Another officer comes up to Thomas with an apple that has bite marks on it. Frank says the bite marks will match the dental records of the victims, who both have apple in their mouths, but there won't be apple in their stomachs. The bodies, he says, were killed elsewhere and then brought here and posed. Thomas says it could be a romance suicide pact, but Maureen says that's atypical and this setup is too meticulous for something like that. Thomas asks if it's true that Frank specializes in sexual predators. He says yes. Thomas asks if he thinks it's a homicide. Frank says that it is, and the perpetrator is new to killing. He's recently lost his innocence, and he's ashamed. Thomas says there are no other bodies in the garden. Marine asks if he's had anything similar happen lately. So Thomas recounts the abduction of a couple from a bar who was drugged and forced to perform, but there was no murder or staging. Frank wants Thomas to put those victims in contact with Maureen. Yeah. It's a little funny that this first murder is staged as Adam and Eve, since Maureen Murphy is played by Harriet Sansom Harris, who played Eve six and eight from the X-Files season one, episode 11, Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit yeah. ironic. At the police station, there are parents there to identify the male victim. Thomas taps on the glass and the blinds open to reveal the body to them and they look and the wife cries. And so he closes the blinds and apologizes. Yep. So then we're at the University of Colorado and it's Friday and it's 1125 a.m. So Frank and Thomas are walking across the campus and Thomas tells Frank that the victims both took an ecstasy hybrid orally, but they can't tell what, if anything, was injected into them. I'm guessing Frank told them something must have been injected into them. I don't remember that being mentioned, though. So I think it's interesting they're looking for an injectable. I mean, they might have done a good um, forensic and actually saw needle marks. That might be it, too. Yeah. So usually they miss that kind of stuff. Like in Mm -hmm. the very first episode, remember, they missed the needle marks Mm -hmm. in the inner thigh. Yeah. That's why I was thinking Frank might have seen it in his vision or something. But I guess they could have seen the needle marks, too. So (laughs) either way. Possibly. Yeah. Frank says he sent the tissue and blood samples to his people. Thomas asks if he's comfortable working a case like this with a woman. And Frank says he's not comfortable working a case like this. Thomas contends that women can't understand male sexuality and vice versa. <laughs> so, he's such a tool. Frank says that Thomas mentioned he worked sexual crimes in L.A. And he assumes Thomas has never worked with a woman. And Thomas is like, no, I haven't. How did you know? And Frank <laughs> says, well, if you had, you'd have learned to value their insights more. So, yeah, boom. <laughs> yeah, in case you hadn't, as Tori mentioned, yeah, he's kind of a tool. So, yeah, he's, yeah. yeah, he's got some problems. And they really try to make him like a character with an arc who comes to accept his stuff. But I just don't like him. And so I don't care. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he does have an arc. And I actually mentioned that later in the notes. But, I mean, it's not like he suddenly becomes, like, fully redeemed or something. He's still, like, probably, like, a very prejudicial <laughs> asshole. Yes. But, I mean, he does get slightly, you know, better. So that's something. Mm, you know, yes. Baby steps. Baby steps. Okay. <laughs> you know, you got to meet people where they are and then help them get where they need to be. 
So they reached the dorm room of the male victim, whose name we now know is Mel, and then the female victim's name was Leslie. And there are two college kids on the bed, and they're getting ready to do some stuff. And they're friends of Mel, and they're like, we have permission to use this room. And so Thomas flashes his badge and asks them where Mel was the other day. And the woman is like, he was with my roommate, Leslie, and they went to some club. And then they ask why they're asking, and Thomas basically says, well, if you two died, wouldn't you want Mel to tell us where you went? So basically is like telling them that their friends are dead and they need yeah. to tell them where they went. So, yeah, not the best. In a way very insensitive that. way. Yes. Yeah. So at the club, Frank and Thomas are there. And Thomas asked the club organizer if he sells drugs. And he's like, no, as long as there's no violence here, I don't care if they get high or have sex. You know, it's just part of the business. And so Thomas frisks him, check for drugs. Meanwhile, Frank is like walking through the club and then he has flashes of Mel and Leslie at the bar. And then he joins Thomas back up at the top and Thomas tells him the club organizer thinks he saw the victims leave with someone and he'll go down to the station and work with a police sketch artist. Frank like pulls him aside and says the killer is giving victims drugs in exchange for a window into guiltless, uninhibited sexuality. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really off. good that Frank has non-psychic psychic powers where he can figure this stuff out. It's good. Yeah. Anyway, then it's 11.56 p.m. And we're inside a house at what we'll learn is a swingers party. And we see that the women guests are all blindfolded. And a man walks to each of them and he's got this bowl of keys. And they each pull out a key and then remove their blindfold. And we see Art is watching through the window. And then he moves to a bedroom window and he watches two of the women and one of the men start to get sexy. They start to like make out and undress. But then one of the women says she wants champagne and the other one's like, oh, the liquor store is closed in like 20 minutes. And so they're like, okay, we'll be right back. We're, gonna, we're not going to do this without champagne. I want to say it's got to be a pretty poorly organized swingers party if you don't already have champagne on hand. I don't know. Well, what's she going said on she with wants that. pink champagne. So maybe they didn't have pink champagne. Oh, okay. She's Possibly. being really picky yeah. about this. I mean, sure. and probably it's not really champagne either. It's probably just sparkling wine. But, you know, it's become like a generic mm -hmm. say champagne so so two things one i do not know how they did not see art looking through those blinds because like <laughs> where he's it's lit outside and then the blinds are like wide open and he's just standing there watching them he's not even trying to hide so like how they don't see that okay they're really into their sexy time stuff i guess and then also liquor stores must close at a weird time in colorado because it's like it was 11.56 and they're like the liquor store is going to close in 20 minutes. And also you have to go to a liquor store to get champagne. You can't just get it at a store. Like, I mean, even in Oregon, you can get it at the store. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the Colorado state liquor laws. Me neither. That just seems weird. I mean, it's possible. But the times are weird. I don't know what their times their stuff closes. I guess maybe it could be 12. It's not going to be one. So maybe that's possible. Maybe it's a long time to like pull keys and then get up to the bedroom. And then decide, you know, but I don't know. I don't think maybe they thought about that as much. So probably not. So the women drive down the road and then a car behind them sounds a siren and flashes a light. And one of the women is like, oh, no. And they pull over and the man shines a flashlight in the window. And we see that it's art. <gasps> and then it's commercial. Well, he's got art. a setup. He really has like. Yeah, he's got the light. He's got the siren. Like, woo. He's yeah. put a lot of work into this. Yeah, he's, he's I guess we some learned, planning. 
We learn later he does work on his car a lot. So. <laughs> mm, I guess. Well, he did. He hasn't done it for a while, apparently. But yeah, yeah. So then we come back from the commercial, and it's Saturday, and it's nine oh four a.m. And the women's husbands are at the police station reporting them missing. Thomas is being pretty much a dick and like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you didn't notice your wives are missing for two hours when they were gone at the liquor store and hadn't come back. And he's all like, you're really suspicious. And he's just like totally on them. And then one of the guys is like, you know, this is embarrassing. And he has to explain like it was a swinger party. He's a little embarrassed and that they didn't know if their wives were within one of the other bedrooms. Right. It wasn't really like till the morning they figured out that they weren't there. Mm-hmm. And so Frank cuts Thomas off and is like, knock it off. Like, stop being a dick. And Maureen asked if the party was advertised or if there was any kind of screening. And apparently the party was advertised on the internet and also in Sween magazine. So this is a production. <laughs> they like they like sent things into <laughs> magazines and shit. There was some planning going on. Yeah. So yeah. this was a they need to organized add a little party. question about like, do you want pink champagne apparently to the questionnaire for <laughs> invitations? But uh yeah. And then the host also screens all the guests. So that is a big swinger in Boulder, Colorado, because it's a you know they've got enough people like to screen guests wanting to join and yeah, people, or they good... fly in. What kind of party is this? Because I don't know. Like <laughs> I know Boulder is a big city, but like it's on the internet and in magazines and uh, maybe it's maybe it's more like zines. And not yeah, well, magazines. it was like the '90s, right? So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The internet wasn't the same thing it was now. Yeah, it could have been like probably BBS boards or something. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Like on the swinger yeah. boards or something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Frank again whispers to Thomas to stop being a jerk and that their wives are probably dead. So like comes with slack. So, yeah, yeah, seriously. And then sure enough, we see a man walking through the park in the rain and he's like, do walk in with his umbrella. And then he's like, because ah! he finds their bodies like posed on a bench and he drops his umbrella. and He's like, help, help, help. So. He was giving me big uh, Lewis Tully vibes, honestly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Even yes, even before he started yelling, run, run, just because I think it's just because he's like us. He looks like a man of shorter stature and he has the glasses and just the way he was walking. I kind of got that vibe. But then when he sees him and it's like, help, help. Hey, anybody help. I just got that total Lewis Tully vibe. Going. No, totally. Like, yeah. Running from a demon dog. So. And I thought one of the husbands looked familiar. And it turns out he is played by Malcolm Stewart, who has been in five episodes of The X-Files. Most recently in season four's first two-parter, Tunguska and Terma, he played Dr. Sachs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The guy who cut open the space rock and was in the suit. Yeah. Yep. And then before that, he played Bonacasey. And then he was oh. in two other episodes. He's actually in the pilot, too, apparently. Oh. So, oh. Yeah. can't remember off the top of my head what the... It was Pilot, and then he played Bonnie Casey in Avatar, and then Tunguska and Terma. And, and then I can't remember what the, the middle one was after Pilot and before Avatar. But yeah, so he's in five episodes of the X-Files, and then he will be in one more episode of Millennium, I think, in season two. So, okay. Yeah, but I was like, damn, he looks familiar. So then I looked it up, and guess what? He was. So. so at the scene where the women's car was left on the side of the road, Frank looks at photos of the women and he has flashes of the women getting pulled over. 
Thomas dangles a ball gag in front of the car window. <laughs> he's just like dangling. Thomas is such a dick. I fucking hate this guy. I mean, maybe he's coming on to Frank. Maybe he didn't find that in the car. <laughs> I mean, that's his own. Listen, like, hey. I do not believe that for a second. This guy's <laughs> incredibly misogynistic and homophobic. And I can't even explain why, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Yeah. Anyway, Frank tells him that this is the same guy who killed the people in the garden. He pulled the woman over, pretending to be a cop. So back at the station, we see the club organizer is describing the killer, but the sketch isn't coming out right. Like, it doesn't look correct. So Frank sort of suggests he should try again. He knows it's tedious, but this is really important. Mm -hmm. Off to the side, Thomas says it's hopeless. This man doesn't have a clue. But again, Frank's like, well, we kind of need it. It's the only lead we have. And Frank says that the killer uses the victims as sexual puppets. Maureen explains that him killing two women is actually an expansion of the killer's interest, possibly into gay sex. Thomas hates that idea. This is why I think he's homophobic. <laughs> There's the reason. Okay. Although he do, they do say lesbian sex, which a lot of dudes who are anti-gay are still into lesbian sex because they just get to watch women. So yeah, yeah, I know, but still, he just he strikes me yeah. as very uncomfortable about any of this. Like he does not like swingers. He does not like gay people. No, he probably doesn't he is like very the kind clubs. Old timey, like old timey yeah. uptight. Yeah, yeah. So instead, Thomas is going to get the lousy description they have of the killer and compare it with any locally known sex offenders. Yeah, I'm guessing based on this episode in the fictional universe of Millennium that Boulder, Colorado does not have like a really high crime solving rate. I'm guessing for homicides because, yeah, they're not. It doesn't in real life either. And it did it in the 90s. That's where John Benet Ramsey was murdered. Oh, I mean, overall. No, but she was one of the only murders that they had never like. Most of the police officers had never like even dealt with a homicide. So, yeah, I can't imagine they have a lot of them, let alone a high close rate. Yeah. And you're right. Most police stations don't. Actually, if you look up the close rates in your county, you will be incredibly depressed. Yeah. That's why you should abolish the police. Yep. They don't really, they don't, they don't prevent crime. And then anytime there is crime, they just like give us money and then it usually doesn't make any difference. Mm -hmm. No. They don't prevent it and they're not great at solving it. So you could use that money to help social systems in your city. And that would probably actually do more to prevent crime than giving it to a bunch of fascists, honestly. So, yeah, Yeah, 100%. Anyway, Boulder County Morgue, 12.04 p.m. At the morgue, Peter Watts has shown up and he's got toxicology info. In addition to the MDMA, which is the hybrid ecstasy that was in their blood, they found trifetamine and dilaftin which was contaminating in the ecstasy. They're not sure if that was just an accident or if they did it on purpose. And then whatever was injected into them, they believe was cyclinicide. And it was a large enough dose to be lethal, but it's hard to detect because of the way the body breaks it down. Maureen is like, that's pretty fancy shooting. And Frank says, their guy is a marksman. Carrying through the analogy. Good job, Frank. I know. Yeah, that was well done, actually. Yeah. So then at the pharmacy, we see Art filling pill capsules with powder. Hmm. Wow, he's a druggist. Who knew? A couple walks in, and the woman catches his attention. So he's having that that vision action that he has with ladies. And then the man hands him the prescription and tells him they're getting married tomorrow, and they're going to Bali. 
And the doctor gave them prescriptions so they don't get the trots. And she's not happy that he said that. She's like, that's gross. Don't say that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. They're also, their vocal patterns and just their voices in general, they sound like they are 15. They do, they and they don't look it at young. all. They do look early no, 20s, but they do but sound like they're teenagers. The way they talk, yes. and then, yeah, it sounds like they're like 15-year-olds. Anyway, Art tells them that it, maybe I'm just old. Maybe I'm just You old. know what? We might just be old, <laughs> to be honest. So, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Art tells them that he can fill it right now, and they should take it right away so it's effective. And then he puts the pills that he was just making into a cup, and we have seen those pills before so they're like mm -hmm. these brown looking things that he gave to other people so watts frank and marine explained to thomas and detective kent that the drugs were professionally made it's not just some bathtub concoction Frank thinks the killer makes and takes the drugs himself. Maureen explains that the drugs allow him to act on sexually related fantasies. Maureen suspects that he's been married, possibly for years, but it's likely that there has never been any consummation. The wife probably blames herself, but has come to love other qualities in her husband. Maybe his dependability or his kindness because people who drug and murder others are generally known to be kind. Mm -hmm. Is that sarcasm or is that true? That's sarcasm. <laughs> okay. I can't tell. Old. <laughs> so then cut to Art sitting on their bed with flowers as Karen comes out of the bathroom. And it's clear she's just showered. She's got a towel around her, you know, or I think she's wearing a, a bathrobe, but she's yeah, just she's got a robe. But she's sure. got, yeah, she's drying she's her hair wet, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. She's got a towel. He startles her and gives her the roses. He says he realizes the physical side of their marriage may not have been, and she cuts him off. She's like, oh, I, I should get the flowers into water. So she doesn't want to talk about this, clearly. Mm -hmm. And Art says he knows it didn't go well the first time. But since it's their anniversary, maybe they can try again. And Karen says she wants him to be happy. Art asks if she's open to trying to have relations again. Maybe tonight? And she says that would be fine. And he kisses her cheek super awkwardly, and it's a little bit creepy. And then he leaves. Yeah. The creepy might be just the music. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's, it's not. Her reaction makes it kind of creepy, I feel like. Because she, yeah. she kind of acts very skittish around him, which yeah. is weird because we don't get the impression that he has been, like, abusive in any way. I mean, I don't know. but No, she... it is weird because we'll, we'll see this later. I mean, just based on this and then later stuff, you assume he probably has, like, erectile dysfunction or something. Yes, like. I mean, he something just can't, like that. He's not able yeah. to have – he's not able to become sexually aroused. But then when he has a flashback later, she's, like, in her wedding dress crying and, like, visibly, like, something bad happened crying. Not just, uh -huh. like, oh – we're not going to be able to have sex. So I don't know what the hell is going on. And we never really find out. Yeah. Um, it's weird because if it was just erectile dysfunction, there are treatments for that. So I don't know. Yeah. Which he should know about because he was a pharmacist. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, sure, was the blue pill around in 97? I don't know. I don't, but yeah. I don't know if the so blue pill was around. So it's got to be yeah. something else. I don't know if he was like just into some weird kink that like freaked her out the first time. But then she like, and then they never, I don't know what's going on. But like, she is like, 
in his recollection that we'll see later, she is visibly like upset and crying like something happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, it definitely feels like more than it just couldn't do it. So yeah, yeah, or or not interested in doing it or whatever. You know, different strokes for different folks. No pun intended. But mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, we don't know what is going on, but we do know that there was a commercial. We also know that Kent is played by Douglas Abrahams, who has also been in five episodes of The X-Files, most oh. recently in season four, episode five, The Field Where I Died, and will also be in one more episode of Millennium. So that's kind of weird. We got two dudes who are in five X-Files and will be in two Millenniums. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. So then it is Sunday and it is 1044 a.m. And Kent and Frank and Maureen and Peter all pull up in a car outside the drugstore. And Thomas tells them that the pharmacist's name is Art Nesbitt. And then Kent runs into the store. And Watt explains that Nesbitt took receipt of Dilafetin and Trifetamin four times, but never filed the paperwork with the FDA for dispensation. Kent comes back and says Art isn't there. That the guy who's working there says he went home. And Frank is like, Nesbitt is our guy. So... <laughs> I don't think he says that exactly, but basically. Yeah. No, but he basically decides that, that, you know, this must mean that Nesbitt is their guy for whatever reason, because yeah. he's not there. So at the Nesbitt home, Frank and Thomas knock on the door. Cluck, cluck, cluck. And Karen answers. And the whole crew, Thomas and Frank and Maureen and Peter and Kent, <laughs> go inside. So many people. It's so many people. Because <laughs> at first, it's just Thomas and Frank. And you see them walk in. Yeah. And then just the whole gaggle they just keep of coming them in, like, walking like a, like a, in. Like a clown car outside of just like <laughs> it's just, people It shouldn't be funny, but it struck me as very funny. Because I was just like, yeah. whoa, that's a lot of people to just burst into your home. All right. Yeah. Thomas tells her there have been some discrepancies with her husband's pharmacy records. And she's like, oh, well, if Art was here, if he could definitely straighten things out. He's very methodical. He's super meticulous. And Karen says that they've been married for 18 years. So she knows. And Maureen is like, oh, do you have children? And Karen looks sad and says no. Mm -hmm. So, again, don't know what's going on. Frank goes into the garage and he finds his heavy chain winch system hanging over basically nothing. It's just like in the garage and set up, but there's like, it's just there. So Watts looks in the closet and in the bathroom. And then Maureen is talking to Karen and Thomas is there. And I don't know where Kent is. Kent's somewhere. I don't know. Where I don't know. Somewhere else. Probably checking yeah. the garden or something. Who knows? Maybe. But anyway, Maureen asks Karen if Art has any hobbies. And she's like, <laughs> they don't really, it seems like they don't leave the house, almost like they're shut-ins. She's like, we watch TV sometimes. And he used to work on the car a long time ago. He apparently replaced the engine all by himself once. So that might be what the chain winch is for. Maybe, you know, for moving engine blocks. So he went and bought all the gear, I guess. But she's like, we don't go out very much. I think they've gone to her sister's like on Thanksgiving. That's about like it. And then she's like, he likes to drive around and think. And Maureen's like, by himself? He's like, yeah. And then she's like, you know, I know this is difficult answering these questions, but it's, you know, very important we ask them. And then she's like, how often do you have relations with your husband? And Karen's like, what? And then <laughs> she says, like, you know, she's talking and says, like, well, we were going to try again. So obviously not, you know. Meanwhile, Watts has found a girly magazine that has been taped to the inside of the toilet tank lid in a Ziploc bag so it doesn't get wet. So Frank and Watts show it to Karen and ask her if she's seen it before. And she's kind of looking through it. She's like, it's old. And is it is it smut? 
She's like, is this smudge? She's so I she is so innocent. I just want to like protect her from the world. She's just very magazine is called Snaz. So (laughs) yeah. Frank Teller is from 1978, the year that they were married. And then Karen realizes that Art has done something horrible and she starts to cry. And Frank asks if she has any idea where they can find him. And she's like, he's at work, isn't he? So, yeah. And she's like, 18 years. So, yeah, she's like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the small room, Art is watching that soon-to-be newlywed couple have some sexy time. And as he's watching them, he unboxes a wedding dress and this is where he has flashbacks of Karen in said wedding dress. And she is horribly upset and crying. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then it's commercial. Mm-hmm. And then it's Sunday and it's 8.23 p.m. Frank, Thomas, and Maureen are all at a restaurant. Thomas says he circulated photos of art, so now what? Frank says they need to figure out his mind. Thomas wonders why he left work if he didn't know they were on to him. That's kind of weird. Did he grab someone? And then Maureen tries to go to the restroom, but she, like, can't squeeze past Thomas's chair. So, like, he doesn't seem to notice at first. And then he finally moves and she leaves. And then he apologizes to Frank for getting off on the wrong foot with them. He can see now that Maureen is a pretty good investigator. Yeah, it's like he might have an eye on her, too. He's kind of, like, watching her <laughs> as she leaves. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Then he talks about how he used to be married, but working sex crimes and stuff, he had trouble sleeping with his wife. So then he tried to go to porn theaters and do other things to try and make it work, but none of it helped, and they ended up getting divorced. This has actually made it worse. Yeah. So then he moved to Colorado where there are fewer sex crimes. So that would stop being a problem. Obviously not with this wife, but maybe if he tries again. Maureen comes back and Frank says that Karen said she and Art hadn't had sex in 18 years. But now suddenly he wants to try again. And Maureen says, you think he's going back there? And Frank says, no, Art is way ahead of us. (gasps) He's already there. (gasps) Oh, no. So in the little room where Art does his videos and basically kills people, he has the soon-to-be newlywed couple dressed in the wedding attire, and he has them perform a script, and he calls their characters Art and Karen as he films them, and he tells the victims it's time for Art to make love to Karen. And they do a thing in this where when he's looking through the video monitor when he's filming them, Mm -hmm. it's not the couple, it's Art and Karen doing yes. the words and then the thing so he's yeah he's yeah yeah he is and, in it for sure he's in his own delusion yeah he's in it to win it in the worst possible way where winning is not a good thing in the car thomas asks what set this guy off now and maureen says his anniversary was functioning as a stressor frank says he's recreating sexual experiences that he felt he should have had before his marriage and then killed his victims freezing them at the most perfect moment of their lives. And they pull back up to the Nesbitt house, and Thomas is dubious that Art will come back. But Frank says he wants to make his marriage work. Where else would he go? Mm-hmm. So in the garage, Frank finds a gap in the cement, and then he tells someone to call an ambulance, and they use the chain winch thing to open what turns out to be a big old cement trap door. 
Oh my gosh. Down in the hole, apparently the opening is right over the bed conveniently and so mm. the couple's in the bed at first the man is like let us out you know stop torture he thinks it's art mm -hmm. but then frank is like no we're here to help you and he starts to climb down and the guy's all oh get us out of here please and so frank gets down there and he checks the eyes and the woman's unconscious but she's not dead so that's good he's like she'll be all right mm -hmm. and he like gets some some blankets and stuff to cover him up because apparently it's super cold down there and he asks them when they last saw art and the man says that he gave them drugs, but that was had to be like at least an hour ago. And he thinks there's a door over there. And then we see this like shelving unit, boom, just like bust out of the wall. And it's Frank because he's behind it. And apparently the door opens and it's a secret entry with like it's a bookcase. And it opens to a secret room, <gasps> just like a Scooby-Doo. And it turns out it's an old bomb shelter, but that it leads into the house. Oh. So, yeah. So then Art is on the bed with Karen and he's sweating and he looks like he took the drugs that he's been taking and she looks very uncomfortable and Art tells her that nothing will ever change. They'll be happy and they'll be together forever. And then we see he's holding a syringe. I think they had sex based on what else he says later. I think they actually finally had sex. I think oh. that's why he's sweaty. I think they had sex, even though he's got his underwear oh, okay. on. I thought it was because he took no, the drugs. They say that he takes his drugs. Right. They don't ever see him taking drugs or acting weird like he takes drugs. So they do say that. Hmm. Um, but I think, based on what he says at the end of this scene, I think they actually finally had sex. But Okay, that does make sense. Because Frank bursts into the room and he knocks the syringe out of his hands and then grabs mm -hmm. Karen. And Art says, you don't understand. I'm married now. That's my wife. So, yeah, that mm -hmm. would make sense if they had had sex. And now he's like, oh, see, now we're finally yep. officially married. He grabs the syringe from the floor and injects it into his own leg. He tells Karen that he'll wait for her. He'll be faithful. They're married now. And he collapses. Maureen pulls Karen away. And then Thomas enters the room, kind of gives Frank a questioning look. And Frank, who's like standing over Art, kind of like looks at the body and shakes his head. Art is dead, yeah. so no. I think they actually had sex. Yeah, I mean, no, that makes sense because like, that would explain yeah. why he's. But so then he's going to kill both of them because he's or... trying to freeze that moment. Right, that's why he's like, "We'll be together forever." So he's going to. Yes, they finally yeah. did it. So now they're both going to die. That's his plan. So I think they yes. actually did it. That's why he's going to do it. So, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. I think like a weirdo. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think that that makes more sense. Yeah. That way. Yeah, because like again, I don't know that we ever. He's he's never acting like he's on drugs. Like Maureen says, he probably takes the drugs and then, you know, and they do the whole freezing the moment kind of thing, which is why he's going to kill himself and Karen here. But they also never, I noticed early on, like in that one scene, like they talk about how the other couple was abducted and he made them pose and do video, but he didn't kill them, right? And they're like, okay, well, con connect right. them to Maureen. We never hear anything about that. We don't get any information from that at all. So... Yeah, that's interesting that because we, we don't. Because anyway, we could have got like some another... corroboration on what the guy looked like from them. So, yeah, kind of just that never pops up. Yeah, that kind of dropped. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, in the car, Frank tells Thomas that Maureen will be staying for a few days, and then Thomas asks if she's married, and Frank is like, "Ask her. You know, you like her. You ask her." And Thomas says, "Maybe he will." And then he talks about his old job in L.A. and how it gave him a nervous breakdown and how something is wrong in this day and age. Regular folks are doing drugs, acting nuts. 
And Frank says that sex and death have commingled into one inseparable impulse. Sensation makes risk acceptable. We're heading toward, and then Frank sighs. Thomas asks, toward what? And Frank says, something perhaps we do better to avoid. And then Frank gets out of the car and tells Thomas to take care. And then it's over. And also we get a little more insight into Thomas about how like his belief system, because he's talking about like when he's talking about his nervous breakdown, he's all like, yeah, it didn't give me like a drinking habit like it would a normal guy. And so he has like these very like ideas of like manhood and, women uh-huh. and stuff. Yes. So, yeah. So again, like he he has baby steps, right? He has had a little bit of an arc. But it's not like he's suddenly like a, a great dude and probably possibly never will be. But you know. no, anyway, he is played by William Lucking, who played Rocky Crikinson in season three, episode 20. Jose Chung from Outer Space. He's the guy nice. who saw it. Remember the the men in black came to his house and yes. then we think he started a sex cult, possibly. He did start a sex so. cult. Yes, that is very interesting. In California, I believe. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I know it's not the same guy, but mm, just yeah. saying. But uh, yeah, I, the only reason I looked is because I was like, oh, I looked up the other guys. I should probably look up this guy. He's like the main cop in the show. I should see what else he's done, if he's done anything. And his only thing was that he was in Jose Chung's from Outer Space. I mean, he's done other stuff, but as far as that. Right, goes. yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit, it's Rocky. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Yeah, I didn't recognize him either. That's funny. No, and we, and we both loved Rocky. So. Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty funny. Yes, he was. That episode is You bold. saw Venus. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. T-shirts available. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so this episode actually reminded me of an episode of Angel that obviously will have come later, I think in the early 2000s. But oh. it's like this guy who I believe is like using some kind of magic to like freeze people. And I'm not, I don't remember the episode super clearly, but the whole crux of it is that he broke up with his girlfriend. And so he gets her to sleep with him again. And he has this like magical machine device thing that will freeze them in the act of having intercourse. And then they can be like that forever. That's like his goal. And so that kind of reminded me of that episode. Mm. Yeah. It'd be interesting if that was written by Ted Mann. That would be yeah, I don't think it was, but it's recycling a script. <laughs> but yeah, Getting just paid. white guys having weird ideas about sex, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So, Tori, mm-hmm. would you rate this episode? Oh man, it's I I feel like this episode is not that interesting and also very sloppy. Like, I totally forgot about the couple you mentioned, because, again, this guy has a whole wall of tapes. So he has been filming couples Mm -hmm. for a while and he has not started murdering until like the Eden couple. Right. So there are a lot of witnesses. As far as we know. Right. I mean. Right. Again. But I mean, even if he had, it it wouldn't have been all of them. And so, like, we know that there have been. And I get that a lot of those couples may not report things. They were doing drugs. They may not want to report those things. So they probably don't have like this extensive record. Or of don't even think it's anything this. to report, right? Yes, I mean, like, that too. They did I meet at a club and, and the, get drugs. And some and... Rico dude took some photos of me, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, either way, that was sloppy because there were those victims they should have connected with Maureen. There were other just weird sloppy things. And it's like... They tried to like be like, why now? Well, his anniversary was a stressor. Okay, but he's had several anniversaries. Like, why this one? Like, is it just because he's been, 
doing this on the side? How long has he been doing it? I guess that's it would be interesting if he was only doing like if you looked at all those tapes, which I don't think because obviously 18 years, some of those would probably be like VHS or beta or something. These are like the little eight millimeter tapes that he's using the camera on. So obviously 18 years would pass. It would be different formats but it would be interesting if you found out like if you looked at his tapes like they were all dated like within like a week or two of like his anniversary and then he was fine for a year and then the anniversary hit and so that would be like the whole anniversary is a stretcher thing but we don't get that we just are left to assume yeah. that, like, oh, there's a whole wall of tapes he's been doing this a lot for a long time so yeah. yeah and then the other thing is like why is that last couple still alive like if you inject these things and they kill you pretty quick then they shouldn't have been down maybe there for he an got enough. Maybe with the video, he got enough of a, you know, he was able to get it up and didn't want to waste it. And so, like, he said he gave them drugs, but he didn't say he injected us. Right. He so maybe he, maybe, okay, so maybe he decided to. They weren't going anywhere, right? They couldn't get right. out. So maybe he was going to come back later and do it. Or maybe they would just yeah. be trapped there and die because he was going to kill himself. Right. But yeah, he may have, with doing the video and the whole acting thing, he may have been able to finally get enough arousal. And then be to like, go, and he didn't want to like have it run out it. before he. Yeah, yeah, that's that makes sense. Anyway, there was just stuff in this where I was like, eh. oh, the other one is Karen. Like, what's been going on in their relationship? I mean, he is paranoid. It maybe yeah. there is some abuse going on there. It's just really weird. I don't know. I I'm overthinking it. I didn't really like this one. I think I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. I think I'm probably going to do the same. I think I'm going to give it a four yeah so i also i'm a little disappointed because we got to see i mean we got to see eve again right and i'm yes a fan anytime yes. she shows up but we keep getting this like we got we got cch pounder too right and then it turns yes. out she's only going to be like in a few we keep getting these like oh they're going to be recurring and then they don't like this is the only one that she's in I don't know if we're no, done with CCH Pounder or if she's got one or two more coming. But like, I thought she like had a couple be, more. But yeah, yeah, it's not like she's going to be like a recurring character. And so we get we get these little glimpses of characters that would be nice because we don't really have. I mean, we don't really have any female characters who recur except for Frank's wife, Catherine, and even she. I mean, she's not in this one at all. So yeah, we don't really get yeah. any other female characters. So yeah, we got Watts. We got Jim. We've had a couple other male characters also who are the same way who come in and like they're like, you know, one and dones. Mm -hmm. So which I get because he's moving around the country and so they're just probably right. so you're gonna have grabbing the local people. people. Yeah. But some of them are like you you know, like you, you enjoy the actor, right? And so you're like, I wanna see her again. You know, I want you know. Yeah, especially because we know that Morgan's wife is going to show up and become like a recurring character eventually, and it's like, <laughs> why her? Could have had, I know, um, but yeah, so, I know. Uh, maybe it's maybe a she'll be good in Millennium. Maybe this. Uh, yeah, I was really excited when we first started, and then we're in kind of a mid-season dip right now. So hopefully, we are. I know because we jumped right back into the mid-season. So ooh. all right, yeah. hopefully we will go up both on X Files and Millennium. I mean, Xbox hasn't been too bad, actually. It hasn't been, no. actually. And I think there are some really no. good episodes coming up that I remember vaguely and have vague memories of. So I'm excited to get to those. Uh, I've never watched Millennium, so I don't know what's coming up. But, like, it's had some really great episodes. I This one just, eh. It was 
fine, I guess. I just eh, didn't care that much. Yeah. I mean, again, even though this episode isn't great, I mean, Lance Hendrickson is amazing. Oh, he's like, good. Yeah. It's just, it's so, especially in this episode, maybe it's more focused because of the contrast, but like, you, he doesn't even need to say anything. Like, he can just, like, his face, like, there's just like, you get the empathy that he has for the, you know, the people that he's dealing with and just like, he doesn't have to say anything. It's just like, it's just, he's just, they, they did a great job casting him. So good job, Chris Carter. Good job. Yeah, no, he's so, really good. Yeah. So he will, I think he will always probably be the, the shining light in the series. So if nothing else is yeah lit, if it's all dark, there will at least be Lance Hendrickson. <laughs> it's true and harriet samson harris does a really good job too yeah and that's why it's, it's a shame that like she's not going to come back i know is, i know because she's she's a good expert and she works really well so it's too yeah. bad so and also she's eve so i can't not think about the fact that she's eve and that's just something that i always am upset never like we get all these damn clones in x-files and we never get the eaves. Like they never come back. We just have clones of Sam and clones <laughs> of dudes. We've had multiple dude clones. We pretty much only yes, get Sam clones. But yeah. Yeah. Whatever. So. <laughs> I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and The Truth is What You Make of It by The Agrarians. Our bonus X-File adjacent feed is where we cover television and film that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent, and we define adjacent, so we do what we want. And True. if you like what we're doing, tell a friend. We'd be happy to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is still out there. The truth is what we make of it. Myself a cramp laughing. I oh, know. <laughs> I'm old. I know. I am too. Fuck. <laughs>